Welcome to the first episode of the Draft Deeper podcast. My name is Nathan Grubel. Working alongside me as a producer and timely contributor is my good friend Kevin Black. Kevin, how you doing? Doing great. How are you tonight? I'm feeling great, and I'm ready to certainly dive in, talk about some draft talk. Towards the end, we are absolutely going to get in some thoughts about the NBA bubble, since that is a hot topic right now have a lot to say about a certain phoenix team i don't know if kevin if you have a lot to say about the new orleans pelicans as we were just talking about but maybe we'll dip into some of that who knows i have a few opinions but on today's episode primarily it's only fitting that we start an nba draft pot off with a small look at the top of my big board so i'll go through some evaluations and some takeaways on who i have as my top five but before we get into that much, I think it's only not, only right that I give my audience a little bit of a background as to who I am, where I'm coming from, and I'll get into the mission of what I want Draft Deeper to be as a scouting platform. So how I ended up here, definitely a little bit of a 360 during high school. I ended up falling in love with basketball to the point where I started taking some journalism classes. I know very humble beginnings doing some MBA and college coverage for our school newspaper and being able to express my opinion and share some knowledge about the sport, I made the decision to attend Temple University to obtain a degree in journalism with a focus on becoming a basketball writer when all was said and done. Fast forward toward the end of my time at Temple when my career focus definitely changed. What if I could work in the MBA itself and lend my talents and expertise in an operations role in a front office? Immediately, I shifted my focus, potentially too late, to sourcing educational and work opportunities through Pro Scout School as well as EV Hoops, which was a private firm at the time led by now Los Angeles Lakers scout Alon Vernikurov, and through attending multiple sessions and classes, connecting with various professionals across the industry and actually doing work that's been seen and evaluated by NBA and international clubs. I fell back a little bit and realized that I'm not always at my best working in a private space. Would I still love to work in the league one day? Absolutely. But I feel as if I have more to offer through public education on just what scouting is and what it means for the basketball industry as a whole. And that's where Draft Deeper comes into play. My goal for the platform is to give the average basketball viewer an in-depth look at talent evaluation and the kinds of conversations that are had by executives daily. And we're going to do that, obviously, through my thoughts on my big board, going through some scouting reports specifically hopefully getting some good guests on later as we get into the season and, and more as we get ready for the 2021 draft, especially doing some live streams, some places, maybe doing some live draft coverage, some live lottery coverage. I have a lot of plans for the platform. Obviously we're starting today with just the tip of the iceberg, but the way I feel is that I performed a lot of the same job functions of scouts and video personnel and using those skill sets to create a new multimedia platform is something I'm incredibly excited about. And I can't wait to build this with you guys over the coming years here. So without further ado, I want to dive right into the first guy on my board. Now, to everyone listening, this first guy might come as a bit of a shock as to why I have him so high up. Well, let me go through my report and give an explanation. And maybe some of my reasoning won't sound insane when you compare me to the majority of media scouts as well as our good friends over on Draft Twitter. So first up, I actually have Cole Anthony. Now, coming into the college season, and even after his mantra's first game for North Carolina, 
the majority of evaluators at least had him top three, if not first overall. Think about it this way. A dynamic scoring guard who can put points on the board from every area on the floor, competitive. He comes from a professional lineage. His father, Greg Anthony, a great pro, certainly a well-spoken member of the media now. But Cole also comes in focused just like his dad did. And with all that being said, it's not like there weren't red flags for him even before a lot of the season got to play itself out. I know I just said a lot of good things about him, but naturally a part of scouting is we, we have to look through things as a whole. So if you go back to his high school and his AAU days, there was a belief among scouts that he subscribed too deep to the hero ball theory and looked to take over games at times we didn't necessarily have to, forcing shots, trying to make a play for himself despite the situation in front of him, whether it be a clogged lane, a double team, or he just had too much confidence from lanes leading to a poor shot. Fast forward to UNC, and you can absolutely pick apart enough film to lend credibility to the argument that Cole cares about being the guy to a fault and doesn't have enough trust in his teammates. Now, I can't fully dispute that argument, but what I can talk about is how unimpressive the team was around him. Think about how many great players there are in the NBA today that can truly carry a garbage roster to great success. LeBron, possibly Giannis, although right now in Milwaukee, he has a plethora of talent around him in the form of essential role players and brilliant coaching from Mike Budenholzer. Kevin Durant might be another one of those guys, arguably one of the greatest scorers of all time. These players are Hall of Fame caliber talents. So expecting other guys to reach that peak at any point in their careers just isn't fair. Even a guy you're giving a top grade. There's not an obvious generational prospect in this class. So star upside and realistic comparisons are as important now as they've ever been to make the right decision if you have the number one overall pick in the draft. For the most part, good to great players succeed because they have the requisite talent around them. And I'm not even asking for Cole to go in this situation like Golden State with surefire Hall of Famers in tow. At least Anthony will be surrounded with NBA talent, and that'll give him as much of a chance as anyone else to sink or swim. Who else will we be talking about from this year's UNC roster who has a chance to have more than a cup of coffee in the league? Armando Baycott? Leaky Black? Anthony might walk away as the only player on that team to even sniff a meaningful rotation role in the NBA. Big heavy team, absolutely no spacing. You put those things in the college package where the shot clock is longer. Teams can pack the paint easier with the three-point line being further in. It could be a recipe for disaster for a young point guard like Anthony to show what he's capable of. Yet he still put up impressive marks as a true freshman and excelled in pull-up scoring and isolation scoring. I mean, just take a look at some of his numbers here. He still put up 18.5 points a game, although he only shot 38% from the field. If you actually take a look at some of his numbers on Synergy, he ranks in some of the higher percentiles when it comes to mid-range scoring, isolation scoring. And if you take a look at some of his numbers on different spots of the floor, he's up there with a lot of the top guys when you think about shot creators, where he came from in the NCAA ranks. And you still look at it, even some of his other counting numbers, you're looking at six rebounds a game, four assists a game. And I don't put all of my stock into stats, but it's important to note that there are not a ton of college basketball players out there who, when you're talking about a 40-minute game, two halves, probably not playing as many minutes per game as somebody would in the NBA, 
18 and a half points a game, regardless of the efficiency, is still a hard number to hit, especially when we go back and look at some of the things I just mentioned, some of the reasons why he might have trouble scoring at that level. Take him into the NBA, plop him onto an NBA roster where the court's a lot more open, where he's going to have a lot more room to drive, get himself into isolation situations where he can pull up for a clean jumper. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless in terms of what he might be able to do. So when you take a look at a lot of that, you compare his numbers to who I have as a comparison for him, ultimately, I think his upside is Damian Lillard. Take a look at Dame's stats from his senior year at Weber State. 24.5 points per game is a very high mark for a point guard. But you also take a look at the five rebounds, the four assists, had a similar number of steals. And when you do the eye tests, looking at both players, they score the ball in a lot of the same ways. What's Dame Lillard known for? He's known for pulling up for big shots, taking a few risks depending on where his range falls, where he's at in the shot clock. But he's a three-level scorer, and so is Cole. That's why I think Cole has a lot of the talent, a lot of the bravado, and a lot of the maturity to become a top 10 player in the league, which is what Dame is right now. So that's what I believe that Cole brings to the table in bunches. Now, where he's going to have to make a bigger jump is in his playmaking efficiency. But I wouldn't have considered Lillard the kind of playmaker he's become at a college either. Through hard work, film study, experience, Dame has become arguably the best pick-and-roll point guard in the league other than CP3. And Anthony is as underrated a passer as anyone coming into the draft and has the dedication and the basketball IQ to improve and become a deadly playmaker given what he can do scoring the basketball. But as we were just talking about, with more of an open floor, putting himself in those pick-and-roll situations, he's not the kind of guy that's going to always force the worst shot of the court. Think about if you didn't have some of the other talent and some of the teammates around you, some of the schemes, some of the play calling around you, and you felt like a lot of the scoring burden was on your shoulders. That's what Cole went through in North Carolina. And I know some scouts have talked about it. Others aren't really giving him that excuse. Regardless, the NBA game is much different than the college game. I think everybody can agree on that much. He can finish inside. He's stronger than he's given credit for. His pull-up from mid-range or three is money, and he doesn't shy away from shooting over anyone. Defenses will eventually have to prioritize him and bring that pressure, and I think he's going to be able to be a better decision-maker over time, and he's certainly going to put up the points, but the assists are going to come with that as well. Even if he averages about six to seven assists per game, keeps his turnover down, he, he's going to be a great player in the league. He's going to be a top option. Is he the best player on a championship team? That depends if you think Dame Lode is the best player on a championship team. Usually you're looking at a high-scoring wing, a two-way player, somebody like a LeBron, a Kawhi, a Giannis to be that best player on a championship team. But there are no needle movers 
in that sense in this draft. So at the end of the day, it's about taking the player who you believe has the most upside. And this is a big thing that I will talk about at many points over the course of this podcast. And when I get to actually publish reports online, one of the biggest things in scouting for me is taking a look at the skills that a player has, what can actually translate right away and get them on the court and get them earning minutes. That to me is something that's not going to hold Cole back. Cole can do enough at the pro level today to certainly contribute and get enough minutes to start developing those areas that maybe aren't exactly his strong suits right now. And for all the clips I mentioned earlier about Cole playing the hero, taking the game upon himself at times where he probably didn't have to, go look back at all the assists he made where his teammates were able to convert and he was excited for them. The energy and the competitive fire that Anthony brings into a game oozes lead by example. And that's the kind of player I would want to be drafting with the first overall pick. I understand the concerns and the fact that naysayers will give him a more realistic comp to Jamal Murray, a scoring guard who shouldn't be trusted with the ball in his hands to set his teammates up all the time. But there's more to Cole's game than that, and I have a hard time getting the loaded comp out of my mind. At the end of the day, stars in the NBA are able to hit shots from anywhere at any time while being a positive in as many other areas on the floor as possible. And we didn't even talk about his rebounding. Having a nose for the glass as a guard plays heavy into the speed of the NBA and getting out in transition. Being able to grab and go is always a plus, never a negative. He's athletic, bouncier than he may be known for given the type of top shots he likes to make the majority of the time. And I'm betting on Cole to reach the peak of his upside and become an NBA star. So let's move to number two. Moving on, this is where we're going to start to get into a little bit more of the consensus. It's hard to find a sizable number of scouts who don't have LaMelo Ball at the top of their boards just based on pure size and upside alone. A 6'7 pass-first point guard with scoring upside may be too hard to pass on depending on who is the first overall pick. And I certainly can't fault that kind of thinking given the upside that you have to hunt for with that top pick. My concerns with LaMelo aren't in his playmaking, his style, flair, and knack for making a brilliant pass will be put on display from the minute he steps into the league. Just like his father, LeVar, he's a showman, more so than Lonzo was and is. Not only can he make the sizzle play, but out of pick-and-roll situations and transition off driving kicks, he'll make the right pass. Guys who can see the game two or three plays ahead don't grow on trees, which is why Ball has earned a ranking this high. What's the cap on how many assists he can end up averaging, especially in today's pass-happy league? 10? 11? I don't think those numbers are out of question so long as Ball develops in other areas to justify the minutes to hit those marks. And that's where the star upside can fall short for me. As a scorer, he just isn't going to be as dynamic of a threat as some are pointing him out to be. Let's take a look at his shooting numbers from his time in the NBL with the Hawks and then take a look at how efficient Lonzo was coming out of college and where he's at now in the league. I mean, if we take a look at some of LaMelo's shooting numbers, we're talking about 37.5% from the floor overall, just 25% from three-point range. 
72% from the free throw line isn't terrible, but not where you want him to be as a guard. And again, we're not going to put all stock in counting numbers and percentages. There is a point where you have to pass the eye test as well, just like we talked about with Cole. Problem is, is that I don't trust Lamelo's shooting mechanics and his shot overall as much as I do with Cole. You take a look at Cole's jump shot. He's balanced, gets great elevation. His release point, his overall follow-through, those things don't change whether he's taking a standstill shot off the catch or he's creating his own and pulling up from the mid-range or even from deep. Compare that to LaMelo's shot. He lacks the balance pulling up, and his release points and his follow-through do vary from shot to shot. When there are faults in a jump shot like that from start to finish, a scout would consider it broken. And by the way, broken is a word that's been thrown around by pro scouts behind the scenes. I won't go that far, but it's as much of a concern for LaMelo as it was and is for Lonzo. And I know people will say, well, Lonzo shot it well from three in college. But if you take a look at where he's been in the pros, it took him to year three to get up to 37% overall from three-point range. But that took an overhaul of his mechanics. And even now, you're seeing it in the bubble. He's still inconsistent with the shot. It's not perfect. And right now, I think I like Lonzo's overhaul jumper more than I do LaMelo's. I won't go as far as to say that LaMelo's jumper is broken. But again, it's something that he's going to need to be closer to somebody like Penny Hardaway, a true scoring threat at that 6'7 size, than somebody like Lonzo, who's, you can see he's much better as a facilitator and taking open shots than being a creator and a number one option all the time. I mean, given upside and talent elsewhere from, from other guys or fit and need, I'm still going to take LaMelo second on my board. I can't slot him lower than number two. But there are certainly some question marks and some doubts, and we haven't even gotten to any of the off-court stuff either. We haven't talked about, and I don't really plan on talking about what kind of impact LeVar, all the marketing, the ball in the family hype could bring i don't think any of those things are important and i don't think they're going to be issues with lamello i haven't personally talked to him but seeing him enough in interviews seeing his composure on the court he seems a lot more relaxed nowadays i think he's taken a lot of pressure off of himself given all the family drama and that's a great thing to see i really want lamello to succeed I mean, again, I'll stress that a guy who could lead the league in assists and bring size and positional versatility on the court, that's nothing to sneeze at. That type of player isn't available in every draft. But the concerns are real offensively, and they're there de defensively too. LaMelo is not always engaged, especially off the ball. But even on the ball, he can look lazy at times. At his size, with his quickness, lateral movement, there really isn't much of an excuse that LaMelo should have right now in terms of not being able to keep somebody in front of him and keep his matchup contained. On and off the ball, he should be more engaged, using his size and his length to play passing lanes, disrupt, force turnovers, 
so that he can get his team out on the break where just like Lonzo, he's the most comfortable in transition. He wants to throw the same hit ahead passes that Lonzo does. But they operate in so many of the same ways. Sure, LaMelo doesn't have any kind of confidence issue. He can be assertive. He can go into the lane. He's an acrobatic finisher when he's around the basket. He has a lot more scoring touch in those areas, but without that consistent pull-up game, without that consistent three-point game, if he's just camping behind the arc, looking to throw open assists, lob passes, like Lonzo, and that scoring consistency never comes, think about the kind of player you're taking number two. If you would have taken Lonzo Ball number two, and you still like that pick today, then a lot of what I'm saying, you're not really going to put a lot of stock into it. You're going to like LaMelo as much as well. And the ultimate outcome is going to keep LaMelo at number two on my board, but I don't exactly feel the greatest about it, and I can absolutely see him being surpassed by some of the other guys that are going to come later in this conversation. Which, as we move on, third on my board is Anthony Edwards, who he has his own case to be the top overall pick, and certainly first on a lot of scouts' boards right now. We're talking about an uber-athletic and physically imposing guard prospect who can be a 20-plus points-per-game scorer in the league rather quickly, should everything break in his favor, of course, based on the situation and the role he's drafted into. As much as that sounds like a sure thing, let's pump the brakes and dive a little deeper into why Edwards is only three on my board. On pure talent and ability alone, some people may look at me like I'm nuts not having him first. The premium in an offense-heavy league is scoring, particularly shooting from deep. Edwards has proven he can pile up deep looks and bunches. Just go back and look at some of the college film against teams like Michigan State and good programs in the SEC like Kentucky and Auburn to see him drain not just one deep pull-up, but multiple in a row, looking like some of the best shot creators in the NBA. His pull-up game and range are advanced for his age, which is why my comp for him is on the money in Zach Levine. I'll tell you why. Bouncy athlete who's known best for shooting, shooting, and more shooting, with some timely cuts and dunks, of course. That's Edwards' game to a tee. How many possessions did Edwards pass on a drive to the basket or a good look to a teammate? keep the ball moving in favor of a contested pull-up that clanked off the side of the rim. The limit doesn't exist. As much as you can live by the three or the deep two, you can also die by those shots. And Edward found himself six feet deep on a number of occasions. Is it valuable to be able to take and make those tough shots, especially late in games? Someone's got to do it. And a team who needs a cold-blooded shooter like that will find value in Edwards. But in order to take his offensive game to the next level, he needs to rewire himself a little bit and focus more on driving to the basket, drawing contact, using his muscular physique for a young talent. He's listed at 6'5", 225 pounds. And I certainly believe the way in just by looking at him. He's a physical specimen. But why does that physicality matter if he doesn't take more advantage of it? There has to be more of a balance, and I'm not seeing it right now from Edwards. More often than not, Guys who learn or know how to shoot only further hone their craft, especially given where the league's trending. Edwards will shoot, shoot, shoot his team in the games as much as he will shoot him out of it. Playmaking and playing team defense, he's a ways to go. His basketball IQ isn't near where it should be, and it will be up to him to work and study hard to improve his knowledge base so he can succeed 
off the ball and finding ways to make his teammates better. The fact that he's generally a step slow there speaks to just how talented he is. If I can still claim he can average 20-plus points a game by his third year in the league, I mean, we're, we're still talking about arguably one of the better scores the NBA is going to have to offer in three to four years' time. Now, time's going to tell if he can reach a ceiling even higher than Levine, but that's ultimately who I see him becoming. Very nice player, potential all-star scorer, but how much does that contribute to winning if that's all a team has to rely on in its top option? Now, fourth is where a lot of evaluators start to differ on certain guys, but I'm sticking with James Wiseman as my pick here. And quite frankly, he hasn't moved that much since the beginning of my scouting process. It's easy to dismiss Wiseman as just a rim runner and shot blocker in the mold of a DeAndre Jordan, given his freakish size and athleticism. And I can co-sign that, and I'll be the first to tell you that's likely what he'll be in his first few years in the league. I don't think he'll be given a chance to show he can do more than that. Even Bam Adebayo, absolute darling in the NBA this year, had to earn his spot on the starting lineup and prove that he can go out and contribute towards the fundamental approach of his team before he got to show exactly everything he can do with the basketball in his hands. Wiseman will have to do the same. And by the way, I'm not comparing the two players. Bam's a special talent in his own right, who I actually thought should have been a top 10 pick when he came out. But he slid into the later portion of the lottery to a very happy Miami club who likely saw what he could become because they have one of the best scouting departments in the NBA, so kudos to them. But even if DeAndre Jordan is a low end for Wiseman, I'll still take that here. But that's not who his ultimate outcome is. The ceiling's Chris Bosh. Capable lefty scorer at the five spot with range, while also having the ability to anchor a defense and provide all-star production on both ends. I mean, go back and watch a lot of what Wiseman did in high school and even YouTube some of the McDonald's and some of the other showcase practice scrimmages. The individual one-on-one scoring talent's there, albeit not just not refined. Whether it's the turnaround shot, lefty hook, face up, shoot over the top, Wiseman has a lot more than he could potentially tap into than just being a lob third at his size should he get the opportunity to develop and put those talents on display. Scouts wonder with him coming into college if he had the motor and the drive to succeed. I don't know Wiseman personally. I'm not in an occupation where I have the ability to openly interview him at any time of the day and ask him some of those important questions and try and figure that out. But I can watch his play on the court. I can study his demeanor, how he interacts with his coaches and his teammates. To me, that doesn't appear to be an issue. Every big band takes some plays off. You're not going to find a big with the same stamina to constantly run up and down the floor like a guard or a wing. Not to mention their bodies aren't built for that either. But the majority of the time, what kind of hustle and drive do you see from a big? Watching Wiseman, I can tell he cares and wants to help his team win. And when he does run in the break, my goodness, is he impressive. What really struck me about Marvin Bagley when he was coming out of Duke, I know that's a little bit of a change up here, but, but stay with me on this for a second. His speed and his fluidity in the open court wowed me. Wiseman outclasses Bagley in every single way in that kind of category. He may not be the same vertical skywalker that Jordan's been in the NBA, but he has enough bounce and certainly has the length to make up for any inches lost on a jump. Combine that with his speed and talent level in the half court, so long as he develops correctly. I mean, a more athletic Chris Bosh is a downright frightening player. 
Now, the biggest thing for Wiseman to work on other than continuing to extend his range is his footwork in the paint. He is going to need to find some ways to score through the defense, not just over it or shying away from contact on a fade all the time. But he'll continue to get stronger and craftier. And the amount of things he can do to earn minutes right out of the gate, even for a good team, is too appealing of a package for me to pass on further than four. If he became the best player in the class, wouldn't shock me. I'm going to prioritize shot makers and ball handlers over the big at this point based on where the pro game is at. But Wiseman, interesting talent to watch as he develops over the coming years. And last but certainly not least for today's big board wrap-up is Denny of Dia at number five. And quite frankly, I could end up having him too low when all said and done. Man, has he been impressive over the last few weeks playing with Amari Stoudemire and Scotty Wolkin from Maccabi Tel Aviv in the Israeli League Championships, helping them capture a title. The name that everyone wanted to use with Denny a few years ago when trying to find the right comparison to help introduce him to domestic audiences was Luca. That he's going to be that level of a prodigy for whoever drafts him. No, that's not the case. That's just silly. I hope Luca never gets someone else compared to him, internationally or not because his story and game are far more advanced than anyone could have dreamed of. But if Dia is an impressive prospect in his own right, given where I'm putting him on my board, he's not the next Doncic. Let's just get that out of the way. But the name that he could become or even surpass that is realistic is Danilo Gallinari. And people forget how good of a player Gallo is when he's healthy. I mean, look at his game overall. Big 6'10 athletic forward can take guys off the dribble, shoot over them with range, underrated creator in the half court and a passer when he needs to be. That's the kind of role Avdia is going to have when he gets into the league and eventually as he develops. He's not the greatest athlete in terms of speed and explosiveness, but his positional size and strength, two things again that he shares with Gallo, are impressive for his age. And he's going to bring those advantages into the NBA. Whether that's going to be useful for him shooting over defenses, fighting on the boards, or bodying guys up defensively. He's not a slouch on either end. He's competitive. He loves to fight and assert himself on the court. Emotionally, he's as engaged and enraged at times as any other prospect coming into the league. And that kind of fire will need to be important for him to improve in certain areas, starting with the mid-range game. His shot mechanics are perfectly fine for a set shot off the catch. But pulling up, he still needs to tighten up his base a bit and consistently follow through in a shot to get better results. Too often when he's taking someone off the bounce, he doesn't take the time to square himself to the basket and push off the ground straight up with purpose. He'll lean back or fall forward on a shot when he shouldn't, leading to the inconsistencies you see because he, in turn, doesn't adjust his release and follow through when those things happen. Tending up his game in between the arc and the paint will only add to a scoring punch and make him that, better, that much better of an offensive threat. I think we'll clean up the free throw percentages over the coming years. Nothing I'm concerned about from the charity stripe. He's a willing passer. Not an advanced playmaker, but willing if he sees his guy open for a clean cutter shot. Where he loses me a little as far as being more responsible with the ball in his hands is in his handle. Luka is an explosive, but his size combined with his handle helps him separate and give him enough space to make a move and either get a shot up or get his man on his hip so he can power his way through. That's what separates Luka, even though he's not the most gifted athlete the league has ever seen. If D is bigger than Luka, 
but isn't even close to being the same level of creator with the ball in his hands. FD is best when he can catch and make a quick decision, not hold on to the ball and dribble into something. It's also where Gallo's at his best, and that's fine. You don't have to be some amazing shot maker to justify a pick this high, so long as you're fundamentally sound in so many other areas of the game. And if Dia is. So wrapping up today's show, I thought it would be fun since we're in the middle of the NBA bubble, the NBA restart. Naturally, this is something we're going to cover, we're going to talk about, go a little more in-depth on next show and future shows to come. But just some thoughts, especially from what I saw today. We're recording this on Monday, August 10th. How about the Phoenix Suns? Man, I've I've never been a bigger fan of Devin Booker than I am right now. That guy has talent. I mean, we can talk about Devin Booker for days on end. The amount of talent he has as a shot creator, big shot maker. But if you take a look at the Phoenix Suns, what they've built, what Monty Williams and that front office has done with that roster. Take a look at some of the guys who are now playing big rotation minutes. Take a look at where they've come from. And we're going to tie this into a scouting perspective, some great thoughts that I have. Take a look at Cameron Johnson. Where did he come from? He was ultimately a grad starter at UNC. Played for Roy Williams. Javon Carter was a four-year player at West Virginia. Played for good old Bob Huggins. I mean, some of these guys, Mikhail Bridges, Villanova, playing for Jay Wright. These are experienced guys. They're so-called, quote-unquote, young guys. They're, they're experienced guys coming from coaches who instilled in them defensive mindsets, taught them how to be pros. When we're talking about scouting, notice that every single guy I have at the top of my board is a freshman or a guy coming off of just uh, a few years of international experience. Take a look at those other guys I just mentioned for Phoenix and why they're succeeding. Booker and Aiton, they're two stars who only spent a year in college and then came right to the pros. They're surrounded not only by veterans like Saric and Rubio, but younger guys who gained their experience in the college ranks, stayed there for four years, developed, have winning mindsets, and now look what they're doing in the bubble. I mean, it's going to take a year for some of these guys to come together on a roster, for Monty Williams coming in as the new head coach to kind of figure out what he has and make some rotations work. Usually that's about a year or two, to be perfectly honest. But they're surprising a lot of people right now. They're hot, and they're not going away. They're going to keep getting better. And, man, Mike Wilbon said it on part in the interruption the other day, and I agree with him. The Phoenix Suns should be a playoff team next year. And, Kevin, I think you feel the same way. I think they could be a playoff team this year. The way they're playing right now, there's not a team that has more consistency in the bubble. They did today's game without having Aiden in the first quarter because of suspension due to missing a COVID test. And they came back, I believe they're down by like about 15 or 20, and they just came back and then routed OKC. I think they have serious potential to be a very good team, not only next year, but also the end of this year. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think our man Dame Lillard might have something to say about that in terms of Portland beating out Phoenix for the eighth seed. But my my dream right now, if we can get that Portland Phoenix 8-9, that would be incredible. Know what I'm incredibly disappointed about? I wish that we could have Paul George versus Damian Lillard in the first round. All the trash talk they've done on Twitter and Instagram, all I want to see them go 
off on a seven game series. I know this isn't a political or a hot take podcast, but Dame, I think you won that battle. That's all I'm going to say on that. I think you won that battle, and rightfully so. It's Dame time. It, it, it has been Dame time. I mean, some of the other thoughts, I mean, there, there's been a lot of impressive basketball play by Luka Doncic of late with the Mavericks. The Raptors, as we're recording this podcast, they're beating Milwaukee right now. I know Giannis isn't playing, but... I mean, the Raptors were down in Orlando for two weeks ahead of everybody else, and that time that they've had together is showing in their chemistry and their play on the court. They just look well-rounded. I mean, before the playoffs, before the bubble, quite frankly, I think if you had to put a gun to my head, I was taking Toronto to come out of the East. Surprising for somebody who wasn't always a big Toronto supporter (laughs) during the early days of Kyle Lowry and and DeMar DeRozan because their shot selection towards the end of games, just how they closed was abysmal. But with Nick Nurse at the helm with what Masai Ujiri's done, building this roster, filling out guys from the G League, which is something that Draft Deeper is going to do. We're certainly going to talk about G League guys. We're going to cover some of those prospects and who's hot and who can ultimately contribute on an NBA roster over the next few years. I mean, what what, what they're doing right now is, is remarkable. I think my pick was Raptors-Lakers. In the finals, the Lakers are looking a little shaky right now. Personally, I think they're just going through the motions. I think ultimately come first round, they're going to ramp it up. They'll look like the Lakers were were used to. LeBron and AD will pick it up. But, man, Toronto's been a big story for me. Phoenix has been a big story for me. Any other thoughts on any other teams, Kevin? Well, I know you just mentioned that uh, Milwaukee's without Giannis, but Toronto's without Van Vliet and Lowry tonight, and they're still winning by double digits. I mean, that's just impressive, I think. But uh, I think we should talk about New Orleans a little bit, the biggest disappointment of the bubble. The absolute biggest disappointment of the bubble. I can't say I'm 100% shocked, just given the kind of shape that Zion looks like he's in. I mean, he he looks like he, he gained a lot of weight leaving the bubble and coming back in, not being able to condition himself, get back into shape the way that his other teammates were. But, I mean, just take Zion out of the equation. They couldn't stop anybody from scoring at the rim or from from deep for for that matter. Teams are just pouring in points over them. This is probably the the worst that Lonzo's looked. This is the worst stretch of his professional career or probably these games he's had in the bubble so far. Drew Holiday hasn't been on defensively. So, I mean, you put all those things together, they they probably weren't going to, to make the playoffs here in the West, in the bubble. But I, I think we, we at least wanted them to be a better watch, be a little more exciting. We wanted the best out of Zion, certainly. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they have just been an absolute disappointment. What did you see from them, Kev? Well, that's the whole thing that we talk about. I mean, we, we watched the game together. Uh, what was it, like a week and a half ago at this point, right? The opening mm-hmm. game. And they're a team that they're going to be on primetime a lot next year because names like Zion and even Lonzo to a certain extent are big names in the NBA. They're names that people want to watch, whether they want to watch them do well or they want to watch them do bad. And right now, I don't even think people wanting them to do bad are happy about watching it. They just look like a miserable team. It's just sad. It is sad. You really thought that they'd be putting in a lot more effort, but you're you're right about that. They are they are a marketing darling for sure. I think the good news is is that 
you have stories like the Phoenix Suns, like the San Antonio Spurs, which I actually, I, I made a good post on social media the other day, and I think it stands well to be mentioned now, that, gosh, are the Spurs arguably the best at drafting players in the entire league? I mean, they just find diamonds in the rough all the time. They have guys, they have scouts everywhere, no matter if the event's big or small. I mean, I can remember when I was at Portsmouth a few years ago when Derek White was coming out, when they took him late in the first round. They, they had, I think every other team had maximum two scouts there. A lot of them just had one representing the team. San Antonio had five scouts there that I counted at least, or spots that they had set up for them in Portsmouth. So when you have a staff that's dedicated to going out, going to events, places where you're, you're not looking at like top five overall picks but you're looking at valuable guys who can be found later in the draft and ultimately contribute on the roster right now. Like a Derek White, you take chances on somebody like Lonnie Walker, who he he proved yesterday, even when his shot's not falling, when he's not being efficient, he's still a basketball player. He's going to come in and play hard-nosed defense. He's going to be a threat on the ball to make plays for others. He's going to come in and do a lot of the right things. You have DeJounte Murray absolutely balling a stud on defense a capable playmaker his standstill shot off the catch from three looks a lot better than what it than what it did when he first came into the league and i know he's got chip england to work with their brilliant shooting coach but you take a look at a lot of the young pieces they have Keldon johnson's another value pick that they got from kentucky they have yaka pertle that they got in the Kawhi deal i mean you put another talented forward or big around those young guys and you're going to see San Antonio make another leap, too. If they got into the play-in game, I certainly wouldn't be upset about that. I love watching them right now, even though I want Phoenix and Portland, as we talked about. But there have just been enough positive storylines coming from the bubble. And again, like I said, this isn't a political podcast by any means. But if you want to talk about the job that the NBA and Adam Silver have done as a whole, putting everything together in the bubble, the quality of play has been phenomenal. I think basketball is going to come out of this as arguably the, the the best sport in america I, I i know that's a little bit of a hot take but with everything going on until football can come back effectively and safely i i think the nba has something real here and, and i'm incredibly proud of what they've done and i'm optimistic that we're going to have an excellent finals and even if they have to play next season in a bubble in the nba in the g league if if some of like the the college conferences are going to have to look at playing in bubbles, I mean basketball is a sport where you can do that. You can have everybody in a safe and a quarantine environment. You can test those players daily. I mean right right now basketball is trending upwards, and I think it's in as good of a spot as it's ever been. And I'm certainly excited for the for the future. What do you say about that, Kevin? I completely agree. And not not to make a pun out of this, but I think the ball is really in the quarter of the NFL right now. That the NBA has for years been like slowly climbing climbing in popularity to to punish the nfl for their like questionable decision making and i think if the nfl season doesn't happen i think we very well could see a scenario where the nba is the most popular sport in the u.s i i I think we're certainly trending that way and it wouldn't wouldn't shock me in the slightest if those ratings keep creeping closer and closer to each other i i also think that uh let me let me cut you off for one second. I also think, with that being said, 
that basketball also kind of caters to a more digital marketing theme than the NFL does. I think in the digital world we're moving towards, the NBA is just so much more catered towards these quick highlights and stuff like that, where the NFL really isn't. Excellent point. No, you're you're absolutely right. With so with where social media is right now, I mean it's so easy to just hop on Twitter, see a video of an awesome dunk or a great pass or a deep shot, a game winning shot. It's easy to just share that little five, ten, fifteen, twenty second clip, whatever it is. Whereas the NFL, it's not as highlight driven. Sure, you're gonna see the same kind of thing for for the NFL, but football is really about sitting down and, and watching a full length game on on television or or a streaming platform, whereas you're right, the NBA is consumed in in so many other ways. I know Mark Cuban's talked about that a lot, um, and and that's to be said not just for the NBA, but for all the other mediums of basketball as well. And that that absolutely is a huge advantage it has in this digital age going forward. I agree completely. All right. Well, I I promised you a surprise while we were on a quick break. Uh, guess what I bought during your uh, scouting coverage. Oh no! I, I finally, I finally pulled the trigger and bought a Lonzo Ball jersey. I finally did it. Well, you better hope he has a better last few games than what he's had so far to justify that purchase. Okay, I, I believe in Lonzo Ball. I believe that he can do it. Well, we're 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 gonna have to we're gonna have to wait and see. Hope, who knows? Maybe he's gonna look better than Lamelo, as we talked about. That's that's a, a big comparison for me for Lamelo and. Who knows? Maybe Lonzo will end up being better of the two, and Lavar's going to have to eat some of his words <laughs> down the road. Who knows? But with that being said, hopefully everyone listening today found today's show as informative and engaging take on what the top of the 2020 draft is shaping up to be. And as the NBA bubble continues to round into the playoffs, we'll be covering it. We'll have some guests on, hopefully, to take a look at the restart from different perspective. Next, draft-wise, 6 through 10 on my big board is coming up. But please, like and follow us on your favorite social media platform, whether that's the Draft Deeper Facebook page, at Draft Deeper on Twitter, and we will have that YouTube page up coming soon. Hopefully, we'll have this first show on there. And trust me, there will be more content flowing through there in the coming months as well. And be on the lookout for the launch of the official website coming this fall. I'll absolutely have my full big board up for viewing, as well as scouting reports uploaded daily, different analytical pieces, and other forms of content related not just to college scouting and international scouting, but engaging content to what's going on with the young guys in the NBA and the G League. And it's my belief that looking at the NBA through a certain lens is crucial to the development of young players, and it's exciting to say the least to hopefully share some of those viewpoints with you through the years to come. So thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week, everyone.